Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there, way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals. And get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love. Online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. Everybody, it is Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Welcome to the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast, where we're not sending those refunds. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, joined by Michael F. Florio. And out there in the we do have some of the specialists hanging out. You can't hear them right now. Let's clap for them because uh, they are still helping us put this show together, even though we are now down to once a week. Uh, Florio, um, you and I have not spoken uh, since before last weekend. One, uh, how are you feeling? And two, have you made up with Bill's Mafia right now? Uh, one, I am feeling, for you, happy. Thank your, you. Your team advanced and, and played great. Uh, for my team, I if you ask me what the scenario, like how that game would have went, the Bills not showing up and just getting punched in the mouth would have been like scenario 10 for me. <laughs> uh, so I was very much so caught off guard. Uh, but Bill's Mafia loves me t- this week because I put like a huge threat out mm-hmm. about everything that's been wrong with the Bills this season and, and the way they've been building the team. And 
It kind of went viral in Buffalo, so at least the fans <laughs> kind of like me right now. All right, well, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I know that you were very, very popular uh, amongst Bill's media, Bill's mafia, Bill's media uh, for a little while. So, uh, you know, it's good. It's, it's good that you guys are sort of having your catharsis uh, <laughs> at this moment, even though you're not going to the AFC championship game. Um, we got a decent amount of stuff to talk about. This may not be one of our longer shows, but uh, we will look back at the divisional weekend and sort of take stock from the teams that got bounced. Uh, we'll continue our preseason stock watch. Handful of guys who have maybe not always played well, but you know who are notable and, and maybe what we think about them going forward for next year because we can never start thinking about next year too soon. And, of course, we will look ahead to Championship Sunday, the four teams remaining. There are three games of note left in the NFL season. That's it. I mean, I guess if you count the uh, flag football game they're going to play in Vegas. That's true. Um, but I don't I don't count that. <laughs> like, it should be fun. Oh, yeah. I oh, yeah. It'll be fun. But, but yeah, no, it doesn't It doesn't really count for anything. I want to see dodgeball. That's always my favorite. Ooh, dodgeball. That's the fun one. Yeah. You get guys who could throw a football 60 miles per hour throwing a dodgeball. <laughs> I mean, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> uh, that's the way I look at it right there. But uh, let's get started, actually, with a look back at what happened over the past weekend. Uh, four games on tap, and all of them eh, relatively entertaining. I shouldn't say that. Not all of them were entertaining. <laughs> there was a beatdown in there uh, as well. But Chiefs-Jaguars was, as I anticipated, being a, a relatively fun game. The Chiefs hang on for a 27-20 to win, and you know we'll always be sort of wondering what happened if uh, Patrick Mahomes stayed healthy, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But uh, the Jags... In their season, in the divisional round of the playoffs, they are right now the AFC South champions, and there's a lot of optimism about this team for next year. What we saw down the stretch uh, with Trevor Lawrence and his pass catchers stepping up really big, the defense came and made some plays when they had to. What I thought was interesting, though, was Travis Etienne, because at the start of the year, he seemed like he was behind James Robinson. Then they trade Robinson to the Jets, and Etienne sort of becomes the guy but down the stretch, what I thought was interesting was there was a lot of Jamichael Hasty in that offense. Um, the only outlier in that group was the game against the Chargers in the wild card, where I think Etienne played like 93% of the snaps or something like that. Other than that, though, a lot of Jamichael Hasty, which makes me wonder, how high are you willing to draft Travis Etienne next year if the Jags aren't going to commit to him as kind of a workhorse back? I, I think he, as of right now, I'm comfortable saying he's like a low-end to borderline RB1. Uh, I think he he should be, you know, probably top 12 running back. I feel confident putting him there. I think the upside is very high. But I'm not at the point yet where I'm willing to push him, like, super high uh, into, like, the top five. But I, I see the upside that he brings there. And there was a weird point during that Chiefs game where the announcers were even like, where is Travis Etienne? Like, <laughs> right? it's a lot of Jermichael Hasty right now. But... We've seen games this year when they do feed Travis Etienne, like in that Chargers game. He puts up numbers, yeah. so I think he just needs the opportunity. And what I would even hope for even more is, yeah, sure, dial back his carries a little bit if you want, but let's get this guy more involved in the passing game. Only 35 catches in the regular season. This is a guy that I think should be finishing the season with something like 50 catches because he's so explosive. You get him the ball out in space, less wear and tear on his body as well that way. That was the thing that surprised me all year long, uh, that he has not really been involved in the passing game because I, I believed, I think a lot of us did, when they drafted him out of Clemson, that that was going to be a big part of what he did uh, in Jacksonville. And, and I had thought last year and even again the start of this year that 
Etienne and James Robinson would be sort of a lesser version of what the Browns had figured out with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And it just never really worked out that way. As you mentioned, uh, 35 catches, 45 targets. Um, I mean, he was kind of a decent part of the the passing game, but not a, a big part. I would say the thing that works against him next year in that regard is Calvin Ridley, right? Yeah. You, you know you've got Christian Kirk. Uh, I imagine Zay Jones is going to be back. I mean, we'll see what happens with, with Marvin Jones and Evan Ingram. Ingram on a one-year deal. Um, but Calvin Ridley is supposed to join this team, provided his suspension is lifted. And that seems like it would make it harder for ETN to get targets next year. Yeah, because I, 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 there's just going to be so many options in the passing game. And I think Ridley is also going to make a great impact on Kirk and Zay Jones. Those guys are going to get knocked down the board a bit because – at least myself, I as much as I love Christian Kirk, and I tweeted the other day after his touchdown, I was like so happy for Christian Kirk because after the offseason of hearing that he was overpaid, like he came through and lived up to the money. 1,100 receiving yards, eight touchdowns, yeah. a good playoff performance, and then like five minutes later, he dropped that long ball. <laughs> right. And my mentions were just completely <laughs> unkind. Um, Calvin Ridley will be the one next year, I think, and, and Kirk will go back into that like slot receiver role with Zay Jones being out wide. It's going to be a lot of mouths to feed for sure, yeah. which to me means draft Trevor Lawrence next season. By the way, you talk about that that drop on the long pass to Christian Kirk. I feel like Chris Collinsworth, being a former wide receiver, <laughs> gave Christian Kirk way too much leeway on that one, right? Because he's analyzing it and they're showing the replay and he's like, yeah, and Trevor Lawrence just overthrew him. And I'm like. No, he didn't. It was in his hands. The ball was in his hands. <laughs> He's got to catch that one. Like, I don't know if that's just a former wide receiver sticking up for a current wide receiver <laughs> or what, but I'm like, that was a good throw by Trevor Lawrence. His receiver just didn't make a play on it. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, to see what the Jaguars do, but they are in a, a great situation. They're a young team. They're building things, and they're in a division that doesn't have a true alpha right now. So they, I think yeah. they, have, they have the chance to really sort of take hold. Uh, in the AFC South. Uh, the game that was not really a whole lot of interesting to watch, the Eagles just bludgeoned the Giants. 38-7 to was the final score in that one. And, look, there was some thought that that you know, the Eagles could win and win fairly comfortably. I didn't think they were going to win by 31 points. Yeah. And the Giants are becoming a trendy pick to win that game before before it. Yeah, I mean, they were I, – I, I picked the Eagles. Same. But I thought it would be a lot closer. I thought it would be a little more Same. competitive. Uh, they had played twice already. They seemed to know each other. I thought maybe uh, Big Blue could hang in there, but, but that was not the case at all. But the talk after the game has been a lot about Daniel Jones and – the Giants really heavily suggesting they would like to bring him back, that they want to extend his contract. Uh, we'll see if, if they actually get an extension done, if they put him on a franchise tag, whatever they're going to do. But it looks like Daniel Jones is going to be in New York for the foreseeable future. He finished the regular season as the QB9, which, I mean, it sort of blew my mind when I, when I was like scrolling through. I was like, wow, yeah, QB, QB9, huh, interesting. Uh Next year, when we're talking about drafting him, would you draft him as a QB one? Maybe not, maybe not top ten, but say top twelve. Would you? Would you spend uh, a pick to make him a top twelve quarterback next year? Very borderline. Um, and, and to the people who are like, 
Because you're gonna, where there's people are always out on Twitter like total points don't matter. It's points per game. Well, he was very good in points per game as right. well. Like his 18.06 was right on par with Lamar Jackson. So he had a great year. He's a QB one this season, no questions about it. But going into next year, you already know he's gonna be behind Mahomes, Allen, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Justin Herbert, and Lamar Jackson. To me, those should be the first eight quarterbacks drafted next season. After that, I think Daniel Jones is in the conversation. Like, would you rather have Daniel Jones or Geno Smith? Would you rather have Jones or Cousins, Jones or Goff? Uh, there's still Brady and Rodgers who probably won't go away. There's Deshaun Watson, uh, Dak Prescott. So I don't know if necessarily he'll – I don't think he'll be a consensus top 12, but I think he'll be one of those guys where, like, he goes no later than, like, QB 14, and in some drafts he's top 12, in others he's, like, the 13th quarterback off the board. So, yeah, I'm sort of with you. I think I think you're talking about him as kind of a fringe QB one, right? Yeah. Because uh, he has he has that Konami code that we like. He ran for over 700 yards this past year. We know what he can do with his legs. Seven rushing touchdowns. The thing I also like is that he's really cut down on the turnovers the last couple of years because that was what killed him his first few years in the league. Things that sort of worry me about him. Uh, you know, overall, the, the passing numbers aren't great. Just 3,200 yards, 15 passing touchdowns. Not all of that is on him. Some of that is the fact that there's just nobody really around him. Uh, at some point during the season, his top receiver was Darius Slayton. He was, yeah. he was trying to make it work with Richie James, uh, Isaiah Hodgins. Hodgins got a lot of love, but like, let's be real. He's he's Isaiah Hodgins. He's Isaiah Hodgins, and next year we're going to be talking about Hodgins. I mean, he's that guy that you know you're you're dart throwing in like the fifteenth yeah. round sort of thing at Isaiah Hodgins. So I I really would love to see the Giants this offseason try and do something to beef up that uh, that pass catching group. Right right now they've got the number twenty five pick, and there's certainly a chance that there will be some wide receivers there for them. There will be plenty of wide receivers there for them at 25. If they decide to do that in the first round or in the second round, what have you, they have to beef up that that group, right? It just yeah. can't happen. And they also have the – I know it's not a great free agency class or anything, but they have the fourth most cap space coming into this offseason as well. So there's lots of room for them to upgrade there. And that, to me, was the, the, sta- the takeaway that I took, at least, from watching the Giants and Eagles game. Like – I know Daniel Jones is going to take a lot of the blame. There were so many opportunities where he's in the pocket. He could have wrote a short story he had that much time <laughs> in the pocket, and no one got open. To, I, and I understand the Eagles, in my opinion, best secondary in football. Mm-hmm. But someone has to do something. Like, he's there moving around the pocket, creating time, and no one. And then he's just taking sacks because he can't. Where is he going to go with the ball? When you're giving your quarterback five seconds and he no one is getting open, that that's a pro- that that just shows that the receiving room is the problem right now. Yeah, that that really is the problem. I mean, I think the uh, probably the biggest example of that is Kenny Galladay. When you look at the fact that in two seasons in New York, Kenny Galladay has one more receiving touchdown than you and me combined. Ugh. And and let's not forget that they gave away their first round pick from last year, Kadarius Tony, for beans. Really? <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it just it was not great for for the wide receiver group there in New York, and that's that's going to have to be a very big focus. I know we'll talk about free agency probably a little bit later on. I just have this feeling that DJ Chark is going to be sort of this year's Christian Kirk in the sense 
I don't know what his production is going to be. I don't know where he's going to go. But in the sense that somebody's going to give him a whole lot of money and we're all going to raise an eyebrow and be like, you paid that much for DJ Chark? Because he's kind of the best name out there amongst the free agent wide receivers at the moment. The, the, him? I had that same because yesterday I was looking over the, the free agent receivers and he stood out. And one that I think will get overpaid as well, Juju. I, I think Juju's a decent. I think Juju's overrated. And I think Juju's going to get paid a lot of money, though. I think Juju was once overrated, and I'm going to sit here as somebody who probably overrated him. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I probably had my cardinal and gold-colored glasses on and was hoping for the I, best. I thought he'd have a good year, too. And it, it just didn't happen. I think, I think after this year, though, I think we sort of know who Juju is now. Um, so I, I think the market is going to be pretty fair for him. Like I don't, I don't see any big deals coming for Juju Smith-Schuster. But the wide receiver group uh, in free agency, not great. Um, I think DJ Chark's going to get a bag. And I think, you know, if DeAndre Hopkins really truly is on the trade block and, and you know, we'll see about that, someone is going to give up a king's ransom I, to bring him in. I've already seen a bunch of Bills fans and a bunch tweeted me the other day, like, give up the first round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. And honestly, I have no issues doing that. That would be interesting. Nuke Hopkins, Stefan Diggs, uh, you know, Gabe Davis kind of as the field stretcher. That's kind of scary. I, it. It would be amazing. And and before we move on from the Giants, I think the biggest loser of that Giants-Phillies game was the Vikings defense. Yes. <laughs> that was the thing all game long I kept seeing as, as Philly was just beating the snot out of the Giants. So many tweets about, so how bad are the Vikings? <laughs> I mean, that was kind of it. the Vikings must be terrible. I, I was watching with a, a friend of mine who's a huge Vikings fan, and he was just like, he's like yeah, this shows how bad our – like, we got – we couldn't stop the Giants, and like they can't put up points at all against the Eagles. I mean, just bad. And it's funny. I, I a friend of mine was uh, saying before before uh, this weekend that you know we were talking about who would we rather see the Forty ers play, and he was hands down like the Vikings. And I was like, <laughs> like oh yeah, I mean yeah, sure Vikings, but you know they can be. And I was like, well, maybe, yeah, in retrospect, yeah, the Vikings for sure. <laughs> would rather have that. The Vikings. I mean. Their only chance is to outscore people, and yeah, that's that's not happening against the Niners it's or just, Eagles defense. It's just not going to happen in the playoffs. It's hard to do. All right, let's rip this Band-Aid off. Um, <laughs> Bengals beat the Bills 27-10. to 10. I'm sure you've had a few days to sort of make amends and get your mind right about it. This is a weird question to ask for a team that is still one of the best offenses in the league, but do the Bills need to get more help for Josh Allen? Yes, 100%. Um, I, I think... And this is what I was very vocal about on Twitter. I think the the Bills are a team that are good enough to bully bad teams. They're good enough to bully even mediocre teams. They cannot bully the teams that are on their level. And when they can't bully them, they lose. Like the defense, the Bills have invested everything into their defense. All of their first and second round picks in recent years have gone to the defense outside of the pick that was traded for Diggs. Von Miller, all, all the big signings are on the defense. And every year in the playoffs, the goal is... Josh Allen has to outscore the other team because the defense keeps crumbling. I don't think Sean McDermott is the man for the job. I'm sorry to say that. Mm. Uh, I, I don't think Brandon Bean has done a good job, but specifically for getting Josh Allen help. Outside of Josh Allen and Diggs, there is no one that is even, I would say, like very, very good at their position. The O-line is decent. The, the O-line game plan is Josh Allen will avoid pressure and scramble and, and stiff-arm O-linemen because he's the size of, of defensive linemen, right. and he'll stay open. Uh, and then Diggs, 
the teams throw double at him and bracket him, and then the Bills just go away from him, and there's no one else that could step up. Gabe Davis is a really good number three, I think. He is an inconsistent number two with bad hands, who you saw on Sunday on one of the biggest plays of the game. Allen puts the ball 40 yards downfield in his hands, and he drops it. It happened multiple times this year. And then I don't think Ken Dorsey's the man for the job. They built an offense around field stretching with a receiving room full of slot receivers. They, they made it their goal to get a pass-catching running back this year to only not throw the ball. And not just one, three. Duke Johnson, Naheem Hines, James Cook. None of them involved in the passing game. Like it, it just made weird. no sense. Yeah, that was that was very strange. We kept saying that every time they would get a guy, right? We're like, okay, well, this is gonna hurt Devin Singletary because this guy's gonna take the passing down work, and it just never really materialized that way. I don't, I don't really understand that. And you, you know, you talk about the field stretchers, and and I think it really was on display in that first game against Miami, where from the beginning, I mean, the first play of the game. They went downfield to Stephon Diggs, and they missed. But, you know, that sort of set the tone because they really were trying. And I thought at the time they were just trying to send a message, right? They were just trying to flex and say, this is who we are. We're going to come out, and we're going to we're gonna drop bombs on you, and we're just going to try to blow you out of the building. And it they couldn't connect, right? And, and, and the more they tried it and the more they couldn't connect, it just gave Miami life. Uh, then you know, you know how this went. It had a couple of turnovers, uh, a couple of drives by the Dolphins, and suddenly – you're hanging on by your fingernails to, to pull out a game at home uh, against a beat-up Dolphins team. And if you couldn't do it against Miami, it was going to be progressively harder as you got through the playoffs. And so, uh, obviously, they, they met their downfall against Cincinnati. You just feel like they can't survive if Josh Allen has to play hero ball all the time. Um, that is kind of what we saw the last couple of weeks. And you, know, you mentioned maybe giving up the farm to bring in DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, we are in mock draft season, by the way. And I saw uh, our, our pal Bucky Brooks, who put out his first mock draft. He had them getting Jordan Addison from USC. And, you know, again, uh, I will admit to my own bias here. <laughs> but having watched him, just uh, kind of a route-running technician, a guy who can get open, a guy who has good hands. Uh, unfortunately for him and for the Trojans, he, he had an ankle injury late in the season that sort of hampered him. But when he was healthy, was an incredible playmaker for that offense. And to pair him with Stephon Diggs, uh, and you, know, you leave Gabe Davis as sort of that that downfield take the top off the defense guy, uh, that is incredible. And it doesn't cost you necessarily you know giving up a big draft pick or giving up a whole lot in salary. Uh, I mean, I think that's an option. But but they do need somebody else to help Stephon Diggs. Yeah, I, I'm. If I'm remembering correctly, I think the since Josh Allen has been drafted, I think the only pro, not all pro, not just Pro Bowl, which is a pretty low bar to set. Mm-hmm. I think the only Pro Bowlers from the Bills' offense are Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. He's never had a Pro Bowl lineman. Uh, in fact, you look at their their cap space; it's all defensive players, and Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs are their t- like their their next offensive guys are like Deion Dawkins, who makes like twelve million. Dawson Knox, who makes like nine, like it, it, there's not a lot of money invested into this. And the game plan, it seems like is, hey, our defense will be great and Josh Allen can carry the offense. Well, that only works if the defense actually can make stops in the playoffs. Right. And they did not stop the Bengals at all this week. They did not stop the Chiefs last year with 13 seconds left. Uh, the year before that, they did not stop the Chiefs. The year before that, they gave up a double digit score lead in the second half. Like if the defense isn't getting it done. My game plan would be, hey, let's blow it up and let's put everything we can in Josh Allen and hope that we can just outscore teams in the playoffs. 
it's weird that we're sitting here talking about an offense that was number two in DVOA. Uh, you know, they were the second best offense per football outsiders, and yet we're like, they need more help. They have and to do more. I, I don't want to make this, you know, a Bills podcast, but the reactions to to Josh Allen after this game have been crazy. I've seen people say he's not a top five quarterback. I've seen people <laughs> say he's overrated. I've seen people say he's not on a Hall of Fame trajectory. He's not an MVP guy. He's all of it. And I'm like, what are what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> I get it. We're spoiled from Patrick Mahomes. If Patrick Mahomes didn't exist right now, we would be like Josh Allen is the best quarterback walking the planet. I feel like so. I know that after games, before the the media can come in and talk to guys, like there's a cooling off period, right? Like teams. Get, I don't know what it is, 20, 30 minutes, something like that, to sort of, okay, game's over, let's decompress, take a breath, and then, you know, we'll have the reporters come in and talk. I think fans need that, too, <laughs> right? Like, after after your team loses, you need that, you know, I don't know, give, your, give yourself 24 hours before you start firing off takes, right? Yeah. Because, um, you know, like, you talk about it with Josh Allen, uh, I've seen it with Dak Prescott, just everybody just suddenly, you look. Know, Two weeks ago, when the Cowboys beat the snot out of the Buccaneers, Dak Prescott was amazing, yep. right? He was he was elite, and it was great that the Cowboys paid him. Then they lose to the 49ers, and Dak Prescott is a bum, and I can't believe that they even offer him a ham sandwich on a weekly basis. What is the, what are the Cowboys doing? Like, let's just let's just pause. And, and I, I I agree, we need a pause. But if you're gonna put the blame on anyone, I I know Dak Prescott threw interceptions. I know Dak Prescott isn't isn't perfect. No one is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry Jones deserves more of the blame, I think, because the Cowboys and their front office chose, they made the choice to trade Amari Cooper and to give Michael Gallup a bunch of money coming off of ACL surgery. I was happy at the time because I was like, this is great for CD Lamb <laughs> for fantasy purposes. But yes, well, I must say yesterday, Sunday was the clear example of like, Dak Prescott needs some help around him as well. Like CD Lamb is great. Dalton Schultz is very good. Once Tony Pollard went down though, that was kind of it for this offense. That kind of was it. I mean, I think it, it spoke volumes that they went out and added T.Y. Hilton late in the season to try and give him some, uh, give Dak some receiving help. That seems like a perfect way to segue to the last game of the weekend. The 49ers, a 19-12 to winner over the Cowboys in a game that was hard fought and close throughout. I think it was, I think it was a one-score game the entire 60 minutes uh, in that one. And you mentioned Tony Pollard because... His injury definitely changed what the Cowboys wanted to do offensively. He uh, suffered a high ankle sprain and a broken fibula. The reports are positive in the sense that they expect he should be plenty ready to go by the time next training camp rolls around. So uh, in that respect, he's going to be good to go. The other sort of wrinkle here, though, is I believe he's a free agent. So Tony Pollard, you know may or may not be back in Dallas. And I think after what we saw from him this past season, there will be plenty of teams uh, ready to offer him good money for his services. Let's, let's, assume, let's assume he lands somewhere where he is going to be the RB1 on that roster, whether it's Dallas, whether it's somewhere else. What is Tony Pollard's ceiling in 2023? The overall RB1, I think. Wow. I am very, very high on Tony Pollard. I, 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 that's this ultimate ceiling. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think I would comfortably rank him as an RB1. I think the realistic upside is top five, but I think there's a non-zero chance he could lead the position because um, he is so explosive. And yep. I, I think he would go to a team and 
be used. To, I don't want to say he's a perfect comparison to like a CMC or an Eckler, but use him in that role. Let him get out wide on runs. Let him get used a bunch in the passing game. To me, I think the ideal situation would be to keep Tony Pollard and let Ezekiel Elliott walk from Dallas. But I, I just don't think because of Zeke's contract, I, I don't think that'll be the case. But I, I think Tony Pollard, I mean, he's he's one of the best outside runners in the league. He's so explosive. He could be used near the goal line. He could be used in, in the passing game. There's a whole lot to like about him. I'm curious what the Cowboys do with Zeke because I think that will tell us a lot about what they want to do with Pollard. If for whatever reason they decide to get out from underneath Zeke's contract, right? If they decide to eat some of it and let him go, if they try to trade him, although I don't know who would trade for Ezekiel Elliott at this point, um, I think that informs us a lot about what the Cowboys will do with Tony Pollard. I, I'm I'm with you. I think he has sort of that that ability to be one of those dual threat running backs out there. Um, Dwayne McFarland, who's incredibly smart, always talks about archetypes, right? And and you know, sort of the way guys are used and and what their skill set is. And the reason we love guys like McCaffrey and Eckler, that they're always on the field, they get a ton of targets, they're effective in the running game, and Pollard showed us that he could be that. Not only could he be that, he could be that with a good workload, right? Yeah. That was the question for me, and I think a lot of people last year was, okay, sure, he's great in small doses. Can he be as efficient when he is the guy, and I think we saw that when Elliott went down with an injury at some point during the season, that he was getting 30 touches a game and was just as explosive and just as productive. So maybe in the right situation, maybe the RB1 overall isn't the most ridiculous. When you first think about it, you're like, wow, number one overall. And then you think about what he can do, what he can be, and place in the right situation. Maybe it's a conversation worth having. Um, I'm just very interested to see... Would you want to see him in Dallas, or, or is there somewhere else better you'd, you'd like to see him go? Um, I would love to see him in Dallas if either Zeke was moved or if they were like, hey, we're just going to use Zeke in short yard situations. Um, the Raiders, would be if they let Josh Jacobs walk, maybe they decide to replace. I, I don't know uh, if they'll go that route. Um, I, I get the feeling Josh Jacobs is coming back. He says he wants to come back. I could see that, especially which is weird they, after week was it week seventeen when he was just oh, like, "Yeah, <laughs> just, I didn't think it's gonna happen." But he says he wants to come back now, especially if they bring in like a Tom Brady. I could see, uh, I could see him staying there a lot. Um, Miami, Miami, I think would be a lot of fun if if they were to pay him. Uh, if my Vikings friend friend that I've mentioned the other day, he swears that Dalvin Cook is going to be released this offseason. So if they go that route, maybe maybe the Vikings. Uh, just somewhere where they're going to throw him the ball. And I know saying top five sounds crazy, maybe even, or, or potentially RB1. Of the top five running backs this past season, Derrick Henry was the only one that had less than 50 catches. So right. it has to be someone that can be heavily involved in the passing game, and clearly Tony Pollard is that guy. Right. I mean, Derrick Henry can be that. Because he's Derrick Henry. Yeah, I mean, exactly. right. He's gonna run for fifteen hundred yards. He's gonna get you double digit touchdowns. That's a that's a big burden to put on pretty much anybody else. So that that probably makes it hard for for Tony Pollard there. But he's gonna be one of the interesting names to watch this offseason uh, to sort of see what happens. Um, still gonna do a look ahead to Championship Sunday, but before we hit a break, wanna kind of do another preseason stock watch. We did one last week. This one, uh, some guys who. I think are sort of interesting based on what we saw out of them this past week. The first one, and I, I did this because I just, you know, because you have to talk about this guy. This is, it's part of your contract here. Kadarius Tony, And 
it's funny, uh, during the game, he had a couple of nice runs, a little catch and runs, and Lewis Riddick from ESPN tweeted out, Kadarius Toney is a beast. And John Shipley, who's the excellent beat writer for the Jacksonville Jaguars, quote tweeted it and said, this gets tweeted every week and you look and Tony only has 37 yards. <laughs> and I feel like that's absolutely accurate, right? We watch him make a play or two and we're like, man, this dude's amazing. And then, like, you look and he plays, like, 30% of the snaps. He has, like, you know, 30 yards, uh, maybe a couple of catches, and that's sort of it. But he can do so much with the ball in his hands. When we talk about Kadarius Tony next year, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's more than, you know, mid to late round option. But is there is there the opportunity for something bigger and better in Kansas City? Yeah, I, I and your good friend Dwayne McFarlane, I saw him tweeting about Kadarius Tony the other day getting a larger role in Kansas City, and I was like, yeah, I'm ready to get hurt again. I, I will 100% be back in on Kadarius Tony next year if if the unless Kansas City you know goes out and gets a DeAndre Hopkins or someone like that, another target value uh, vacuum next to. Um, Travis Kelsey, but Kadarius Tony, even what he's doing right now, like on a per touch basis, per route basis, he's putting up numbers. Uh, the only concern I have for him is health, right. and I'm, I guess, also usage a little bit because if there's a, a team that would keep a player like Tony and use him as like a gadget type, it's the Chiefs because that's what Andy Reid does. But if they were to just let this guy play receiver and be on the field for the majority of the snaps, I think he can put up big numbers. And the best part is. Everyone, I think, is going to be have Tony fatigue, right? Like, after this past <laughs> season, people like myself talking him up all summer, all season long, not a whole lot happening fantasy-wise, he'll probably be even cheaper than he was last year. The thing that, that is worrisome is that for all of the explosiveness and all of the elusiveness that he has, he never really broke out on a team that, that was looking for wide receiver help, right? It was Travis Kelsey and kind of everybody else. Yeah. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't count on Juju Weekly. You couldn't count on MVS. I mean, Sky Moore could barely get off the bench. Um, yet through it all, it wasn't like Tony was going out there and earning all these snaps and all these targets. So that is a little bit worrisome. In fact, I'm looking, I'm looking right now at his, his uh, snap chart for the season since he joined Kansas City, right? Uh, the first week he was there, he had nine. Not really a surprise. You know, they were, he had just gotten there. 28, 14, then missed a couple games with injury. Five, 17, 19, 18. I mean, that's just going through the end of the regular season. Just never was on the field a lot. And that, I don't know, that, that sort of raises a little bit of a red flag for me. But he's going to be one of those guys who, because of ability, because of what we see with him occasionally when he gets the ball in his hands, um, is going to be intriguing. It's just going to be a guy that we, we keep an eye on. Uh, another chief, Isaiah Pacheco, who early on in that game against Jacksonville had some nice runs, made some big plays. We did see a lot of Jarek McKinnon sort of in the second half of that game. But the Chiefs, we are envious. We are, we are desirous of a Chiefs running back being productive, right? Because we love that offense. We want parts of it. We can't seem to find one. Is Pacheco potentially going to be that guy that we can hang our hat on in Kansas City? No. Um, <laughs> I, I think he will be like a useful fantasy RB2 or flex guy. I, I don't see his volume, uh, his value being a whole lot different than it was in the second half of the season where he was the guy. He was the lead running back for the Chiefs, but Jarek McKinnon was the one that you wanted for fantasy because I ultimately 
think Pacheco will be the between the tackles guy. Uh, he'll he'll have some breakaway runs at times. He'll get some touchdowns, but the pass game usage, like they'll probably just re-sign Jerk McKinnon and run this back. Like, and if that happens, I think that is a big hamper on Isaiah Pacheco's ceiling and what the upside could be. So he is someone that I could see getting overvalued next year, going off the board as a top twenty running back, maybe even a little bit higher than that. And if that's the case. I'll tell you right now, I won't have any Isaiah Pacheco. I just, yeah, no, if that's if that's the asking price for Isaiah Pacheco, then I am completely People seem out. to love him. I I was trying to kind of get into Isaiah Pacheco until Patrick Claibon pointed out the fact that he takes a lot of steps and doesn't really seem to get anywhere, <laughs> that he seems just to be a whole lot of motion, like sound and fury signifying not a whole lot. And like once Patrick said that, I couldn't unsee it. Um, also, the fact that, you know, in 17 games, he had 14 targets. He is yeah. zero part of the running game. And the other part of that is, in an offense like Kansas City that scores a lot, you would think that, okay, having a running back on that team, they're in position to score touchdowns. He should get a lot of opportunities. He had five rushing touchdowns. Because when they get to the goal line, they're so tricky. They'll do any number yep. of things. You know, they may they may run a shovel pass to Travis Kelsey. Mahomes may take it himself. They may throw the ball. There's just no guarantee that, hey, you know what? We're on the two. We're going to turn around and hand it to Isaiah Pacheco. And and you know who I feel more confident about getting the touchdown than Pacheco? Jarek McKinnon, who (laughs) literally broke the record for most consecutive games with a receiving touchdown by a running back. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco had two games over 15 fantasy points. His high was 16. He is what I, a lot of the times what I said on Fantasy Live and stuff was like, really safe floor. Like, if you need 10 points out of a running back, Start Isaiah Pacheco. But if you're looking for more than that, you're probably going to be disappointed most weeks because he's going to give you 10, 11, 12. Like, if you're not catching passes, 100 yards is great, but 100 yards equals 10 fantasy points. Yep. If if you need 8 points, he'll get you 10. If you need 15 <laughs> points, he'll get you 10. Um, <laughs> and before we move on from the Chiefs real quick, Marcus, yeah. I, I was looking this up while we were talking about Tony. Since he became a Chief, he averaged 2.6 yards per route run, including the playoffs. The only players higher than him are Chega Conquo and Devontae Adams. Wow. On a per, there's no one better on a per touch basis than right. Tony. You just gotta get him up. You just gotta get him on the field. Can he can he stay on the field? That's the big question. That is going to be the big question. Uh let us turn our attention from the Chiefs to the Eagles. Miles Sanders before the season, we know the story. He said, Don't draft me in fantasy, and a lot of us were like, bet. Uh, and <laughs> we didn't. And a lot of us had egg on our face because he ended up having a very good year. Down the stretch, though, uh, you saw him losing touches to Kenneth Gainwell. And I'm just looking at the last three games, right? The, the last two games of the regular season and the one game they've played in the playoffs. Uh, Sanders, he's out-snapping Gainwell most of the time. In uh, Week 17, it was 22-18 to 18, uh, with Boston Scott mixing in there. In Week 18, uh, 29-20 to 20 for Sanders over Gainwell. Actually, it was uh, Boston Scott with the second-most snaps in Week 18, that one, I think, is an asterisk because the, the Eagles weren't playing everybody. But in the playoff game, Kenneth Gainwell had 29 snaps. Miles Sanders had 28. Boston Scott had 16. And again, I get it. That was a, a beatdown, so maybe they're sort of saving Miles Sanders a little bit. But I think the point stands, the Eagles aren't ever going to give Miles Sanders that true workhorse role. There's always going to be somebody else there. So then are we back to looking at Miles Sanders as kind of an RB2? Does he ever get that RB1 love at some point? He will not get it from me, at least not if he's with the Eagles. He is a free agent this year, so really curious as to where he ends up. 
Um, I do not think Philly is going to re-sign him. Um, and, and then it just become it ultimately depends where he lands, what the backfield looks like. But my thinking is Philly, they like what they have in Kenny Gainwell. They like what they have seemingly in Boston Scott. They could probably find a Miles Sanders replacement on day two of the draft. They want to go that route, maybe free agency. Um, I just think this is a team that, you know, they're investing into A.J. Brown. They're going to have to soon pay Jalen Hurts, Devonta Smith. Uh, they've already paid Dallas Goddard. Like, you have to be very, uh, you have to choose wisely where you invest your money on the right. offense. I don't think they're going to be like, hey, we need to pay a running back uh, because I think they're going to look at it as like, hey, whoever's running behind Jalen Hurts, pretty good chance they'll put up numbers. Yeah, I think that's sort of the issue is that if, if you're Philly, do you invest heavily in a running back when, you know, you've got, you've, I'm not going to say Jalen Hurts is a running back, but you have a guy who really does involve himself in the running game and does open things up for whoever's there. So maybe it doesn't make sense to invest a whole lot in somebody else. And I don't know that if Miles Sanders goes anywhere else that the situation is going to be as good because I don't think anybody else is going to make him an RB1 and give him a huge workload, Um, but it's going to be hard for him to find an offense that's going to be as productive and as, uh, as varied as what he's going to find in Philadelphia. So maybe we are back to next year. Um, I won't say don't draft Miles Sanders, but he's kind of an RB2 at best, yeah. I think, next year, uh, depending on, on where he goes, if he stays in Philly or if he goes somewhere else. Um, T. Higgins, very good wide receiver. Uh, we had kind of had him as the number two behind Jamar Chase and you know Tyler Boyd. I kept saying he was Woody from Toy Story that Buzz Lightyear came in in the form of Jamar Chase, and <laughs> Joe Burrow's like, I don't want to play with you anymore. Um, but now it feels like T. Higgins, I won't say he's fading into the background, but Jamar Chase occupies so much in that offense that it's hard for T. Higgins to continually see a good target share. Um is he sort of capped? Has he hit his ceiling at this point? I think he has probably hit his ceiling with the Bengals. I, I will say there was two games this year where he played, but he really didn't play. Yeah. Like He played like a snap each. And to still be at over 1,000 yards, seven touchdowns, that was a career-high seven touchdowns, but he easily could have been at like 11, 1,200 yards if he was healthy for those two games. I think it'll be difficult for him to do a whole lot more than that. When you factor in that Jamar Chase is there, Hayden Hurst, Tyler Boyd, the the running backs. Um, but I do think this offseason is going to be a very big one for T. Higgins because he's entering the final year of his rookie contract. And the Bengals, I know right now if you're a Bengals fan, you don't care about this at all because you're like, we're playing to get to our second straight Super Bowl this week. That's all we care about, <laughs> right. and that's all you should care about. Right. But after that, Joe Burrow's going to have to get paid soon. And then T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, back-to-back years, are going to be actually, no, yeah, yeah. So they'll have a little bit of time before they have to pay Chase. But I think this is going to be the offseason where they're going to have to decide, are we going to pay T. Higgins or are we going to deal T. Higgins? Because I don't think they just let his contract expire and he walks. I don't think they're going to want to give him the franchise tag. So I feel like this offseason, we're either going to get a T. Higgins extension and he very much so deserves it. There's only a handful of teams in the NFL where he wouldn't be their top receiver. Um and if if they don't if they can't come out to a, an, a, an agreement, I wouldn't be surprised if we start hearing his name floated up on the trade rumor. They have a lot of cap space. Um, they've got the third most cap space right now, so they they do have some room to go out and, and sign some extensions, maybe bring some guys in if that's what they choose to do. Uh, they've got one more year left for Tyler Boyd. We'll see what they do with him if maybe they try to move him. 
uh, and bring something back for him. Because he's Tyler Boyd's still a good receiver. He just, mm-hmm. you know, he's kind of stuck behind two other very good receivers there in Cincinnati. But I do wonder if, you know, T. Higgins – and look, for T. Higgins to be where he is, like I, when I say has he, you know, has he maybe peaked, has he hit a ceiling, uh, it's still pretty good. All things oh, yeah. considered, like I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and say that T. Higgins is a bad player. He was a top twenty fantasy receiver this year. Had over a thousand yards, seven touchdowns. Uh, that would be welcome on any team across the league. But uh, you know, you wonder if Jamar Chase really has flexed as the alpha, and uh, if that's going to be sort of the end of of Higgins. Uh, you know, being a potential wide receiver one somewhere. I think Chase outscored Higgins despite missing all the. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last one. Elijah Mitchell, who started the year, we talked about him as maybe a running back too. Uh, We had to worry about his health, which sort of reared its ugly head again. This is before we knew the 49ers were going to go out and trade for Christian McCaffrey. But even then, we still saw a lot of Mitchell, especially in that game against the Dallas Cowboys. Assuming, you know, everything sort of stays status quo next year with the the backfield situation. Obviously, McCaffrey is going to be there. We don't have to worry about that. Um... Are we still drafting Mitchell? Not as an RB two. Where where are we drafting him, or are we drafting him at all? Uh, I think there's a path where some fantasy people might be making the case that Elijah Mitchell is going to be what we thought AJ Dillon would be this past year, mm. like the RB two, but the guy who's going to get a bunch of touches and get a uh, score a lot of touchdowns and stuff. To me, I would only want him as a reserve running back. Like I I'm in probably the double digit rounds because. Barring Christian McCaffrey getting hurt, what's the upside? Like, even what he did last week, 10, 14 carries, 51 yards, that's five fantasy points. Yeah. And that's the thing. He, he's a low-floor type of role because they're not going to stop throwing the ball to Christian McCaffrey to throw it to their other running backs. Like, <laughs> right. CMC last week had eight targets, a team high. Like, he's going to get all the pass game work. Uh, he's going to get some of the goal line work as well. I think Mitchell is one of those players that people, you could watch him, and be like, he's really good. Like, he, if he had a right role, he could be great. And people, you know, all summer long we do this, they talk themselves into, like, this guy's going to get a larger role. Look how good he is. I, I just don't see it. I, I think he will have a role, but I think for fantasy it's a low-floor role. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of it. The The upside is that the, the Niners run the football a lot, mm-hmm. so there's potential for him to get a decent number of carries. But you are always going to sort of be hoping – for a big game, like you need him to have those big pop games, and that's going to be hard to do in that offense with so many weapons, uh, with Christian McCaffrey sort of leading the way there. So that's going to be a, a tough, a tough ask for Elijah Mitchell, uh, pretty much every week. So you're you're probably right. If if he's getting drafted, it's very much at the end. It's very much to kind of fill a spot uh, and be be insurance. If you need. he's he's going to be the insurance policy for Christian McCaffrey if you're taking him in the first round, like and, a lot of years. And there's also the wrinkle of potentially Trey Lance starting and taking mm. more running work away. I, I don't know. It sounds like right now Brock Purdy is the guy that not – like, you're a Niners fan. Do you want Brock Purdy next season as a starter? I, I want a legit competition. That's I what that, I want. I think that's fair. I think that's what I want. And I've, I've sort of – I've shifted. I went from, hey, man, Brock Purdy, like, he's just filling the gap and next year it's going to be Trey Lance's job to, hey, man, like, uh, there's, there, there has to be some conversation here too. Like, there was a week and they were like, Man, I don't know. This might just be Brock Purdy's <laughs> job. Uh, but now that I've now that I've had my cooling off period, I'm like, okay, let's just have a legitimate competition. Let's see what Trey Lance can be. After all, you gave up a lot of assets to to draft him in the first place. I don't think you just 
move on from him without at least giving him a fair shot. So that's that's what I want. I want there to be a legitimate competition next year between Trey Lance and Brock Purdy, and may the best man win. And when they're both on rookie deals, you can have you can that competition that. and not worry at all. You can absolutely do that whole sort of thing. So uh, we will see. Uh, we are not done. We're going to take a look ahead to Championship Sunday, and that's how we're going to wrap things up. Coming up here on the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> Bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. 
Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even That's my game. <laughs> you can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is Aaron's. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love, online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Two games on Sunday. We got the NFC Championship game kicking things off 3 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. You can see that game on Fox. It's the 49ers at the Eagles. Uh, Both teams red hot. The Niners uh, on a ridiculous heater right now (laughs) on a crazy winning streak. Uh, Taking on a Philadelphia team that just beat the snot out of the Giants last week. Going into last week's game against the Cowboys, everybody said for the Niners to win, Brock Purdy just has to avoid the big mistake. Almost made it through a couple of passes that probably should have been picked off. Trayvon Diggs had one in his hands and couldn't squeeze it. Uh, Purdy got away with some. I, I tweeted, he's got a, a horseshoe wedged up his butt, really, is, is sort of what it is. <laughs> For Niners fans, we'll take it. This week, though, against this Eagles defense, does Purdy have to be an actual playmaker? Not just be, uh, you know... I, I hate the game manager thing, but not just be a game manager. Does he have to go out and make some plays for the Niners to beat Philadelphia? Um, I think there's a scenario where that happens if they if they fall behind against Philly. But I think early on in the game, no. I, I think you would tell him the opposite. You tell him, stay on your feet. Don't don't take the sacks. Get rid of the ball quickly uh, and get the ball into your hands of your playmakers. Specifically, I think CMC and George Kittle uh, are going to really have to have a big game this week. I think Debo is going to have to do a lot of the stuff where he takes a you know like a one a one a pass with like one air yard and makes it like a 20 yard uh completion. I think that'll have to happen because the Eagles are great at stopping receivers out wide, which Debo and IU kind of fall into that a lot, and they're awesome at stopping downfield passes. So, I could see a scenario where the Niners fall behind and then I think Brock Purdy has to be a playmaker, but if they could just keep this game close, then I think you just keep asking Purdy to be what he is and that's just Get rid of the ball quickly, place it well, and let your playmakers, like that, that's who the offense is really built around, let those guys be who they are. I, I think, and you and I talked about this before we started recording this show, that I think this game stays close. Uh, it can go either way, but I don't, think, I don't think the Eagles blow out the Niners. I definitely don't think the Niners blow out the Eagles here. So as long as it stays within a score, I think you're right. I think they can just sort of let the playmakers around Purdy do what they do, whether it's McCaffrey or Kittle or Debo or Ayuk or whomever it will be, uh, let those guys do what they do. If it ends up being, you know, they're down by a couple of scores, then it is going to have to be. Brock Purdy's going to have to make some plays. Uh, I will say that just as a fan and watching him, the thing that drives me nuts is watching him continually roll to his left. When pressure comes, he rolls to his left consistently, and then he has to stop and reset himself to be able to throw uh. the ball. It it drives me insane uh, watching it, and I, I feel like, look, if, if I'm noticing this, I'm sure every defensive coordinator out there is noticing this and is probably going to scheme accordingly. They haven't been able to stop it so far. They haven't stopped it so far. Um, I also worry because the Niners, at least early on in that game, had a really tough time with the Dallas pass rush, and if they're going to have a tough time with the Dallas pass rush, I don't think they're going to have a lot of fun 
trying to stop that Philly pass rush either. Um, anybody in particular, though, that you are keeping your eye on in this game? I, I think Devonta Smith is going to have to have a big game this week. Look, A.J. Brown is the one. We know that. But I think Devonta Smith has shown people like, hey, I am very, very good at, at, at my own right. And what he is very, very good at is winning downfield. I know A.J. Brown does a lot of that as well for the Niners. But I think the Niners are going to throw everything towards A.J. Brown. Like, he's going to clearly be the focal point of trying to stop in the passing game. Devonta Smith is going to have to step up. The Niners, arguably one of the best run defenses of all time. Uh, where they've struggled is against receivers, specifically downfield. They're in the top five in, in yards allowed on passes of 20-plus air yards this season. Uh, so for Philly, I think that means Devonta Smith is going to have to make a play or two in this game for them to, to pull it out. And I would say, I mean, depending on how the Niners decide to line up, uh, there's a very good chance he could line up against Diamador Lenore, uh, who has been the the other cornerback there. Not that he's been bad, but Chavarius Ward's been great yes. on the other side. So Lenore's the guy that they pick on. Uh, if the Niners decide they want to line up Ward on AJ Brown, then I'd ma- I I I don't wouldn't be surprised if we see Ward on Smith. But I am mad. I mean, you know this team better than me, but. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like they, I, there's a good chance they probably don't travel anybody. I don't. Okay. I don't know if they travel. They just whoever's on that side is probably who you're just going to line up against. Um, so whoever is lining up against Lenore is probably the guy who gets the most <laughs> targets. Um, Makes sense. Yeah. And again, I don't think Lenore is bad. I don't think he's been terrible. It's just that the guy on the other side has been really, really good, and so that makes you the guy. Once upon a time, side note, I used to write uh, a. An IDP column here a long time ago, Oof. and I will admit that I am not an IDP maven. There are there are people out there who are really really good at it, but one of the things I learned early on doing that column and researching that sort of thing is those guys who were shut down corners are awful IDP players. Yep, Richard Sherman at his height, uh, Darrell Revis, terrible IDP players because no one threw to them. They didn't get they didn't get tackles. Uh, they didn't get pass defenses. They didn't get picks because nobody – you always wanted to pick the guy on the other side. <laughs> that was the guy you wanted. I, I played in one IDP league, and a few years ago, the, le- the year where, like, it was such a big story that, like, mainstream shows were like, hey, everyone is just throwing at Malcolm Butler, and there's nothing you <laughs> can do to stop it. He was the top-scoring quarterback <laughs> in IDP. That, that was when I was like, I don't know if IDP is the league for me. Yeah, you know, so that's that's a thing I learned uh, doing IDP calls. But there are, like I said, there are some people out there. Uh, you want somebody who's good at IDP? Uh, go out and search Gary Davenport. That uh, that is that's your guy. Uh, if you want IDP information, um, I'm looking at Debo Samuel in this game for one of the reasons you talked about. The Eagles don't give up a lot of throws downfield. On top of it. Pushing the ball downfield has been maybe one of Purdy's weak points so far this season. Uh, I think Samuel's that guy, though, who works in kind of those underneath areas. If you can get him on some crossing routes, just get him in space where he can get the ball in his hands, we know how hard he is to tackle uh, when he has the football in his hands. So uh, I, I think he's the guy who's going to have to be a big playmaker for this offense. I think you know Philly's going to do their best to try to slow him down, but it's just... Kyle Shanahan's good at putting him in different spots and hiding him and getting him open, whether it's in the backfield, it's in the slot, it's out wide. They're very good at that sort of thing, and uh, he's going to have to be a key, I think, for the Niner offense. Bengals at Chiefs, that's the nightcap, 6.30 Eastern on CBS. Simple question, can the Chiefs win if Patrick Mahomes is not 100% healthy? Yes, but it's going to be very, very hard. Like, (laughs) I I, I think the Bengals should be the viewed as a team that is if this game wasn't in Kansas City especially it would be all over the Bengals but it's going to be really hard because 
watching him play last week, he w- there was he was struggling to hand the ball off yeah. to the running back, mm-hmm. let alone take three steps, examine the field. So they did a great job of designing everything quick. Like they were tremendous at disguising Travis Kelsey, making it look like he's blocking on the play, and then he at the very end he comes out. Well, the Bengals. They're going to be prepared for that. Lou yeah. Anarumo. Uh, I'm going to. I've Anarumo? Pressed, yes. Yeah. Why is this guy not getting head coaching candidates? <laughs> All he has done is shut down Mahomes every time they play. And Josh Allen's had his worst game in the last three years against him. Like, what yeah. is what is going on here? This is the guy that should. And I've been very vocal about that on Twitter. I think he should be getting head coaching jobs. And if Mahomes can't move against that defense, good luck. Somebody pointed out that it looked harder for Mahomes to go back on handoffs than on actual dropbacks uh, on on Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, whenever they play. Um, <laughs> it just, it, it, you're right. They can win because 85% of Patrick Mahomes is still better than 100% of a lot of quarterbacks, maybe not Joe Burrow, but a lot of quarterbacks out there. And so that, and I think it's going to be up to Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy to scheme up some things to get guys open. I, I was texting a friend of mine like, uh, we used to always laugh years ago, like, how is Antonio Gates always open? Like, how is it that he's always open, right? <laughs> and I was like, I texted him, like, Travis Kelsey is the new Antonio Gates. How is he always open when you know that's where they're going with the football most of the time? And you go back and you watch, and they do a lot of things to sort of disguise what Kelsey's doing. You're right. They have him chip. They have him blocked. They sort of move him around the formation. And that's they're going to have to do a lot of that uh, coming up this weekend if they're going to beat Cincinnati specifically anybody that you're paying attention to this week? Joe Burrow, man. Uh, I wish I could say Eli Apple for this because I want nothing (laughs) more than Eli Apple to get torched and the entire league come out and roast him again just like last year when you gave up the winning catch in the Super Bowl. (laughs) Um, But Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow, he, I've seen a lot of people say this. I know I'm not the first. He's the closest thing to Tom Brady since that we're ever going to see again, I think at least Mm -hmm. in this generation. Like, the way that he plays, his the way that he he is so calm, cool, and collected at all moments of any game. Like they truly, the Bengals have this saying: like we don't have to play them; they have to play us. And man, <laughs> they have adapted that more than any team I've ever seen. Like they're so confident. They all the analytics say you should punt the ball, uh, you should defer if you win the coin toss. They're like, no, nah, we want it. We know we're going to score, and we're going to go up seven zip on you right away. And they do it every <laughs> time. It is ridiculous how well he is playing. And last week, without three starting alignment, and then their one of their two healthy alignment coming in got banged up early yep. in that game, and it didn't make a difference at all because Joe Burrow was surgical. He was getting rid of the ball within two and a half seconds, putting it exactly where it needs to be, where only his pass catchers can get it. If he plays like that, I don't see how the Bengals lose. It was interesting to to watch them. I mean, you mentioned them being so surgical. And I think this week, uh, the thing about the Chiefs' defense, it, it, it can be had. You can score on them. What has made them effective throughout the season is that generally they score a lot of points. They sort of dictate to the other offense. Like The other offense is like, okay, well, we got to throw the ball now. And so when you're sort of one-dimensional, it gets a little bit easier to defend. That's not going to be the case this week. I don't I don't envision a scenario, even with a healthy Mahomes, that the Chiefs were just going to go out and run out and hide from the Bengals and force them to be one-dimensional. So that is going to put a lot of stress on that defense, and I think that's going to be good uh, for Joe Burrow. But for Kansas City, I think Jarek McKinnon is a big key, sort of for the same reason we talked about with Travis Kelsey, how they can figure out ways to get him open. Uh, I think McKinnon is that guy, too. 
we saw him run the ball down the stretch. We know he can catch the football when they need him to. And he's going to be that guy that sort of runs underneath in some of those spaces, especially if you have Mahomes not being mobile and he has to get the ball out quickly. I think McKinnon's going to be a big part of that. And, you know, we talked about Isaiah Pacheco and how he contributes really nothing to the passing game. Uh, I think they're going to need to throw the football, and I think Jarek McKinnon's going to have to have a good game uh, for the Chiefs to go out and win this one. But this should be fun. You think we could see uh, Darius Tony if we're talking short yards, oh, I think so. quick stuff? Absolutely. I, if there's ever a game, I think this is the game you unleash. If him. you ever take the leash, take take the chains off uh, Darius Tony, I think this is the one that you let him go and, and get out and make plays. I know a lot of people, too, are going to be like, Mahomes is going to have time to get the deep ball, and that's their offense. And for, with Tyreek Hill, that was. But this year, really not. It, he's literally threw more touchdowns of 10 or fewer air yards than anyone ever in the next-gen stats era. So, like, this offense now, if there's ever a year for the Chiefs to deal with a banged-up Mahomes who has to get rid of the ball quickly, it's this one. This is, this is, I was saying, one of the better coaching jobs for Andy Reid because we wondered what they would do with no Tyreek Hill and if it was just Travis Kelsey. And Kelsey has obviously done Travis Kelsey things, but they have been just as efficient, maybe even more so, with Juju and MVS and occasionally Kadarius Tony or Sky Moore or Justin. Like, just, like name, it's, it's a grab bag of pass catchers, and they have figured out a way to be just as good they are football outsiders, number one offense in terms of DVOA, and that's after losing Tyreek Hill. Crazy. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. All right, so here we go. Let's just, let's just call it right now. Who is going to be playing in Glendale, Arizona in a couple of weeks in Super Bowl 57? Uh, I think it'll be the Birds versus the Cats. Uh, I think the Eagles pull off a close one against the Niners. Um, I, I think that game, will, that'll be a good one throughout, I think. I think the Bengals and Chiefs are close for much of it, but I think the Bengals pull away late. I think their defense uh, makes the adjustments that they have to make. I, I Their defense, I don't think gets enough credit for how well they have played and how well they are schemed and everything. And then I think Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and T. Higgins, they just do what they do. Uh, I think the Bengals win, I'd say, I don't know if by a couple scores, but by a touchdown, I think the Bengals can win that one. Um, I just think, you talk about their defense, right? That that fumble return by Sam Hubbard might be the reason they're still playing right now. I I think it is. If if the Ravens score a touchdown, uh, you know there's a, there's a good chance Baltimore hangs on and wins that game. So we're, we're talking Bills Chiefs right now, and I'm we, much more happier. We, we're, we're talking about a game in Atlanta coming up this weekend, but uh, it could be a chance that that the defense does make some plays. I think the Bengals win in the NFC. My heart says the 49ers. My head says the Eagles. Go with your heart. I'm gonna go with my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with my heart and say the 49ers win this one, but uh, my my brain says the Eagles are going to win. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my gut and I'm gonna say the 49ers pull this one out. So we're gonna get. So that means we have Niners Bengals Part Three. Uh, they've played twice in a Super Bowl before. San Francisco won both of them. Both of them were pretty entertaining games. Uh, the first, I'll say this: that first one was the first Super Bowl that I have any vague memory of. I don't remember it in. in in detail, but I do remember the Niners came up with a big goal line stand, a uh, big stop on fourth down at the goal line, and that helped them pull out the win. And then the second time they played uh, was the infamous Joe Montana game-winning drive uh, that began with him pointing out John Candy in the stands. You know the story. No. Uh, I don't remember what year it was, what Super Bowl it was, but the Niners uh, trailing with the ball, a couple minutes left, needing a touchdown to win. Everybody in the huddle was super nervous. Uh, and Joe Montana walks in, 
calm, cool, goes to Q-Horn and says, hey, um, isn't that John Candy up there? And everybody looks and they're like, holy crap, it is John Candy. And everybody had to laugh, and they calmed down. <laughs> and then a few minutes later, John Taylor catches a game-winning touchdown pass. Super Bowl 23, I'm being told by uh, Hytham Kalani. Thank you. You know, if any quarterback was to come into the huddle and be like, hey, is that name a random celebrity? I feel like it'll be our new our new Joe Cool. It's Joe Burrow. Yeah. Joe Burrow would absolutely do that. Like, could you be like, like he's like walking there, he'd be like, hey, uh, isn't that Drake? You know, something, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. All right, let's go score a touchdown. Let's go score a touchdown. Let's go win. Uh, so there it is. Those are our predictions for the Super Bowl. Uh, we will uh, be back next week. There will be no Super Bowl preview next week because there's still a whole other week uh, between then and now. So uh, we'll come back, though, next week, and we'll talk about what happened in the championship games, and we'll find some other nonsense to talk to you about for a little bit as well. In the meantime, that'll do it for this edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. Stay happy, safe, and healthy. Do good and live well. Enjoy Championship Sunday, everybody, and we'll talk to you next week. deserve to treat yourself so turn your tax refund into a u-fund and give yourself a straight talk wireless extended silver unlimited plan and get a new samsung galaxy a14 on them you can get a great everyday value on wireless with straight talks unlimited plan starting at 25 dollars a line per month for four lines you'll save so much you'll be enjoying that refund all year long it's the refund that keeps on refunding find straight talk at straighttalk.com or at your local walmart store Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. You can rent a car, a house, even that little black party dress. So why not rent the stuff you need for your home too? The place to do it is errands. Choose from thousands of new products from the brands you love. Online or in store. Pick a payment plan that fits your budget and pay a little at a time until it's yours forever. But if life changes, you can return it anytime or even upgrade it with something new. Rent what you need. It's better at errands. Approval not guaranteed. Restrictions apply. See store for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. 
The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. 